1: Shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is
0: Mornings with Zerlina.
1: Welcome to Mornings with Zerlina. I'm Zerlina Maxwell and I am here with the filmmaker behind the brand new documentary, The American Dreams and Other Fairy Tales. Abigail Disney is here. She made this film with Kathleen Hughes um, and it is in theater September 23rd. It is really amazing. Just incredible story about Disney, and what it really means, I think, in some ways as as a microcosm for what's wrong with our systems and the American dream in terms of the rich and the people who made them rich. So thank you so much for being here.
0: I'm so glad to be here, and thanks for all your kind words.
1: So I'm so happy that you made this film. Um, And as we were chatting before we went on air, I mentioned that Heather McGee uh, of Demos fame and the some of us uh book uh she is in your film really teaching um american history and she says this phrase and i wrote it down to start us off it's the disney vacation of america of the american story mm-hmm. and really the american dream and ignoring america's racist parts and she yes. says that america is based on three things stolen land stolen people and stolen labor and i was like whoa Um, But in so many ways, the story of Disney, it's both the good and the bad, right? I mean, creating a fantasy world, but in a lot of ways, it's ignoring the inequalities in the real world.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's the thing about having a last name like this is you, you live a very crazy life unless you let yourself really look at it. And when you really look at it, you're going to see a lot of things that please you and then a lot of things that really bum you out.
1: I mean, it it has to feel hard, right? Because, you know, everybody is born into whatever family they're lucky mm-hmm. enough to be born into. Some people have better luck than others, right? You just show up here and you're like, this is my mom and dad <laughs> or, or whoever you, you know, you end up. Um, Growing up with you, don't get to choose like choose all. You just you're here, and so we're all sort of like you're rich, you're poor, you're in the middle. You're, um, it's just luck. You just show up. But in in America, in some ways, we've sort of all bought into this idea that it's not luck. It's actually like hard work, and you know this idea you're pulling up by bootstraps. Um, I loved the the sort of graphics in the movie. Um, that demonstrates you actually can't lift yourself up by your bootstraps. It's actually ridiculous <laughs> uh, in terms of physics. I liked that part. Um, but can you talk a bit about y- Disney and in the origin of Disney and Disneyland and Disney World, in in the sense of um, creating this fantasy, but also mm-hmm. in the in the original model, there was business ethics, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 the compensation for the CEO and and your family members wasn't 500 times the workers. Yeah. Can you talk a yeah. bit about that?
0: Yeah, because that's sort of the genesis of the project is like how my memory of what I knew in my childhood is bumping up against how it really is now. Because, you know, my grandfather, and my great uncle, were sort of famously super right wing. Um, but. Nevertheless, norms at that time were such that you didn't, as a C, as a CEO or as a founder, you didn't just simply, you know, grab for every penny you could possibly grab for. It just it just wasn't a thing that people did, and it wasn't a thing that people admired. And so, you know, they were they were from the Midwest. They were actually from great poverty of themselves, um, and so I think that also gave them a sense that like they weren't, you know. They weren't princes or princesses and they they were just like everybody else. So I used to go into the park with my grandfather and he used to, oh my gosh, it was so warm. It was so lovely. The people who worked there loved him. They called him Roy, they'd give him hugs. He'd ask about their families. And I remember when he would go in, he would always pick up a piece of garbage when he went through the gate. And he would kind of do it in a way he wanted to make sure people saw him do that. And I remember asking why he did that. And he said, because nobody's too good to pick up a piece of garbage. And I just want to make sure everybody knows that. Um, that was a really important lesson he wanted me to know. That was a really important lesson that he wanted the people who worked for him to know that he didn't think he was too good. So, so this, this is a very different time. But as you know, like it's very complicated to mm-hmm. say that Um, And also hold in your head at the same time that, you know, the reality for black and brown people, the reality for immigrants, for women, for everybody else, wasn't all that peaches and cream. Most of these employees were white and most of the privileges were reserved for people who were white. So it was was such a complicated legacy. Right. Mm -hmm. And like you say, you don't get to choose your legacy. Um, And I I, I feel like if I love it, I have to be truthful
1: to myself about it. I love that you dive into the the complicated nature of this. I mean, if there was easy, if this was easy, we would have figured it out already, right? Like everybody yes. <laughs> would, we would have solved it and uh, figured it out. Everybody would mm-hmm. be understanding. Um, but I think that it it is complicated. And I like this line in the film where you say, "Nice isn't enough," which is this idea that, and I think this comes up a lot, especially now, um, yes. that people that are in charge or like even in the most recent election, like, well, you know, my neighbor voted for Donald Trump and he's a nice guy, you know, he takes care of his family and he's a nice person. But like when when you talk about being complicit in something that is harmful to people, right? Because, you you know, essentially what the film is about is how in the present, right, you go through the history, but in the present, you know, the CEO is making 500 times what the workers are making and you have people online to get food people yeah. who don't have shelter but who are working for a company in which the yeah. CEO is getting 60 billion dollars or $1 million dollars in in annual compensation talk about the complicity that yeah. you know even nice people you know have in participating in this system
0: yeah there 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 are layers and layers of complicity and the the first obvious one is at the CEO and the managerial level i mean you 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 get along people get along with each other. That's what they do. And one of the things that's required for being nice is not to trouble things, not Mm -hmm. to mess with people's assumptions or, you know, throw monkey wrenches into the middle of everything. And I've been in a million board meetings and a million business meetings. And believe me, bringing up, um, for instance, that this might not be great for um, for the carbon footprint of the company, or that this is a really unfair way to treat people, or maybe the the objects are made in, in, workshop, in um, sweatshops, that, that's treated as rude. That's treated as something you're doing that makes you not be able to get along with people in that place. And, that, and, and so the, the system itself relies on a certain level of niceness um, to function. And if you settle into that, if you let yourself, let those pieces of your conscience go, um, you know, you you settle into this kind of plain vanilla life that is really complicit. And I think the le- the complicity extends to me as a shareholder, mm-hmm. because if I'm well aware that these things are happening or there are human rights violations, in uh, you know, against the Uyghurs in China and yet Disney's invested in China. I can't look the other way for that. Mm-hmm. And anybody who owns shares in a company with an expectation that it grows by, say, eight, nine, 10 percent every year there's no way that happens unless there are bodies buried somewhere you don't just take your money and look the other way and if everybody in this massive complicated system chose to interrogate their own complicity how differently and how much more difficult would it be for things to run the way they generally run
1: i mean it's such a it's it's such an important point about taking the money and ignoring um the harm. I think that yeah. I mean, I I love the um I definitely added the um re I think reimagining capitalism to my next <laughs> book list. Yes. Um because of the idea, I think it's in the end of the film where she says that we shifted in the United States to a place where making money is the thing above everything else it doesn't matter if you are exploiting people it doesn't matter if people are suffering it doesn't matter if you're getting 500 times what your the workers who are making you rich yeah make yes. as long as you're increasing the stock price you're doing the right thing i mean and she yes. likens it to the loss of our souls do you yes. think it's that deep i mean i feel yes. like disney and and you say this and i think it's a theme throughout the film Disney is the one company that could do it because they their mission from the beginning is, Mm -hmm. you know, about people, about joy, about creating happiness.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I didn't just, you know, pick on my family because I'm related to the family. I mean, honestly, I feel like Disney is the only company where you can make this point as clearly as you can make it. I think my grandfather, and my great uncle, without having this vocabulary at the time, started what we now call a social enterprise Mm -hmm. in the sense that they wanted to run a company where people could thrive and build families and they would create something, you know, as their basic purpose that brought families together, that brought joy to the world. I mean, that is a great description of a social enterprise. Um, And yes, if you like do a survey of the 20th century and who's on the magazine covers and why, you would see, a personality switch you know around the 1970s and 80s and when Milton Friedman who's in the film talking about you know how your sole purpose is to make the share price go up um, in doing that in, in installing that greed is good mentality he gave CEOs and business leaders this moral cover for doing the greedy thing Mm. he gave them the opportunity to say well i know it seems bad that i'm looking greedy like this but believe me if i keep being greedy like this everybody's going to benefit and corporate leaders have been hiding behind that moral cover for so long past when it became obvious that it's just not true and so we need to rip that cover away from them
1: i mean i think about this a lot often we have Uh, economic analysts on the show and we're talking about the jobs numbers or something like that. I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, and this comes up in in the movie because you know, at the beginning of 2020, there were a lot of furloughs and then later layoffs at many large corporations, but in many um, in the hospitality industry and amusement parks because of COVID in the pandemic. But I remember asking, I think it was um, Christine Romans from CNN. um, I asked her, you know, Does anybody ever ask the question like if you can't pay your workers a living wage, should you be able to operate a business like maybe you don't get to do it? If you can't pay your workers a wage that allows them to buy food and shelter to take care of their families and you provide them with health insurance, the things that you get as the business owner. Mm -hmm. Why do you get all of these things? But the people that are making you the money to live in your mansion while they're in their car. Why is that? The system. Why are we? Why is that okay? Like why? Yes. Why is that okay? And and she she was actually like that is a one a question no one asks. But she was also yeah. like you know it's a hard question because we we just accept as you said the premise that that's fine.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've been saying, and if you can't afford to pay a living wage, you can't afford to hire a person. And what gets thrown in my face when I say that is, but small businesses, and <laughs> exactly. yeah, small businesses. It's hard. Nobody said it was easy. <laughs> Nobody ever said it was easy, but it still applies. If you can't pay a living wage, you can't affi- afford to hire a full-time worker, period, full stop, end of story. And so, like, yes, we have let a lot of things slide for a long time. We've treated as normal things that are not normal. And, and, the, and frankly, it's let um, social structures deteriorate right under our yep. feet. And, and so I think so much of what was happening on the Capitol steps on January 6th um, was about you know, bad guys and terrible people. But mixed in there, there were people with this idea in their heads that corporations and the elite have taken advantage of this country and don't have people's best interests at heart. And no matter how you feel about those folks, in that regard, they're right. Mm-hmm. and their their analysis is not far different from the analysis on the left. Right. How is it that we're up against each other when we all agree that corporations have run away with the agenda and we need to get them back under control?
1: well you 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 do address that i mean that heather McGee's uh presence in the film i think answers some of that, and this is why teaching American history is so important. you know there is an answer right The reason mm-hmm. why the left and the right fights is because of the the wedge issues yeah. the race issues that yeah. were uh exploited um to separate really the labor movement what was yes. the labor movement before so can you talk a bit about how um your how disney sort of was this fantasy world in a bubble where mm-hmm. like you don't see all of the racial issues that were happening yeah. at the time in, in the country and how that's kind of dangerous, right? You, you know, yeah. you, you don't want to create sort of a fantasy bubble because yeah. eventually you're going to have to reckon with what's going on.
0: You, you know, white people when they're surrounded by other white people experience the introduction of race as a topic as, as disruptive. You know, like, but there's no race here. We're, there's only whiteness. But of course, white is a race, right. right? And and so in, in, in bringing this up in the film and starting to talk about the race dynamics, it was actually rather hard. People kept finding it a little like, what? Where are you going with this? This has nothing to do with that. Um, but of course, if you really take the time, spend the energy to suppress whole groups of people from the narrative, may, race must be important to you even if you're trying to negate that it exists or imply that such a thing isn't really pertinent. Um, So it was really important to me, and actually I've kind of forgotten the question, but um, but it was really important to me that we surface this thing that had been so consciously written out of the narrative, except in these small instances where the the presence of people who were not white was unbelievably derogatory and condescending. Um, and the damage that that does, it it did damage to me, you know, because as a white woman, I still have to dig myself out from under the way my idea of the world was limited, was worked by being told for so long that the story of America was just a white story.
1: No, you answered the question. I mean, a lot, I think <laughs> what a it, well, <laughs> well, because in, in, in 2020, you know, there were so many conversations and now we sort of we talk about the racial reckoning almost ironically, but yes. I feel like in a lot of ways it, the I was always the person growing up where when people are like, don't talk about politics, money and religion. I was like, why not? Those are the most yeah. interesting things to talk about. Yes. Um, and then also um, and then also when people, you know, I was always the person bringing up race when and making other people uncomfortable. Number one, mm-hmm. because I was the only black person in a lot of mm-hmm. spaces. So yeah. race is something that is I walk into the room and I, it's, it's obvious, as, like, you can ignore it, but I can't. So so yeah. I was always bringing it up and, and pointing it out. And I've sort of, again, having a radio show is, is the um, natural <laughs> extension of that. It's just like, yeah. now I have those conversations on the air because
0: <laughs> I like to have
1: them. Um, yeah. One of the other things um, in the film I think that's really important is, is sort of just, I mean, billionaire like a million if people can make a million dollars like there's nothing wrong with a million dollars like you can yeah. make a million dollars and have a business you can make a million dollars investing you can do a lot of things and make a million dollars that's fine multi millionaires fine billion dollars i really feel billions like there's theft involved in in yeah. in terms of labor exploitation and and some you did something bad like something that yeah. just feels like people should not have that much and the the Equation is that workers at Disney would have to work for 2,000 years, 2,000 years, 2,000 to make one year of Bob Iger's salary. That, how, how does a disparity like that
0: even happen? How How does does Bob Iger wake
1: up every day and think that's okay?
0: (laughs) I, I love talking to you because you're, you're coming to the same conclusions I've been coming to. I don't know how you sleep at night. Because especially if you know that that people who are working for you full time, putting everything they have into this job, who can't put food on the table, I don't understand how, as the CEO... Yeah, you get rewards, but you also have responsibilities. And is it one of your responsibilities to the idea that everyone who works full time for you, especially at a profitable company, should at least be able to put food on the table? I'm not taking my sixty six million dollars until I know for sure everybody's eating. I don't understand it.
1: Couldn't he just take sixty two? I mean, I feel like (laughs) because because my thing is, is like it's not even that like I think about this a lot. Because, yes. you know, I have a running joke on the radio show that like Jeff Bezos, he wakes up every morning and over his wo- Wheaties or whatever, organic smoothie, he's not deciding to solve homelessness, not even in one no. city. He's like, you know, I could just fix Cincinnati. He doesn't do it. Yeah. And, yeah. I and I don't know. I don't understand yeah. why not. Yeah. Even if just so that you could brag about how you've solved homelessness. Like, wouldn't you just want to you know, do it and then be like, look what
0: I did? <laughs> the social problems in this country can feel so intractable. Um, except when you think about Jeff Bezos and this entire economic system, because the fact is, all he has to do is make less money. All he has to do is construct Amazon to be less profitable because people were being paid fairly along the way, or they spent a little more money on electric trucks so that weren't emitting um, carbon gases. You know, there are a thousand ways in which investors in this country could give up 1% or 1.5% of what they make on their investments, and so many social problems would cease to exist. Of course, there would still be problems, but amazing numbers of social problems rise from the stress of people living at or under the poverty line. You could wipe that out. This system is that profitable and that good. You could wipe that out in a heartbeat. If investors took 1% less, one year longer, and we're willing to take a little more risk on. It's that simple. <sighs> it is. Yeah.
1: It feels so. It, I think about it a lot, and I know it. It goes back to the the thing we started the conversation talking about, which is that shift in the seventies and eighties. Um, yeah post-civil rights where businesses changed the narrative and said greed is good and that like it is the the crazy thing to say is that you would take less money. Why would you ever do that? That's not what you do in business. That's crazy. No, it's actually crazy that you have $66 million and your workers are living in their cars. Like I don't understand. So I
0: actually, I've been thinking (laughs) that one of the things we need to be talking about is CEO pay tethering, right? Like there's a couple of municipalities where they've instituted taxes on companies where the pay ratio is over 200. Um, That's actually a pretty simple thing. And I don't understand why we're not talking about that at the federal level. Can you imagine how much would change if we just tethered the highest CEO pay? And, And what the argument against doing that, of course, the argument against lowering CEO pay is, oh, but the talent, you won't have the talent working there. And I have to say, I'm sure there are more people who would work and do a really wonderful job for say 20 million dollars a year or 40 million dollars a year i i can't believe that the only guy who can do the job has to have 60 million dollars
1: i mean like who are we talking about four people that can be qualified (laughs) to do a job that gets paid 40 million dollars i mean there is going to be like three people i mean somebody (laughs) like i i i wish we could create a new breed of ceo that Mm -hmm that volunteers i don't know that we're going to change the system (laughs) very quickly but i think we can create better humans and then they can wake up and say i have a soul today yes they could just say that
0: um that's exactly right that's exactly right and that goes back to what rebecca henderson says right about like we've we've let the getting and spending interfere with what our ancestors used to call our souls let me tell you something else that will encourage you and that is She teaches, Rebecca Henderson teaches the ethics class at the Harvard Business School, which used to be an optional like two week class, which is already makes me so sad. But now they turn it into a real class where they really talk seriously. And she said, when I talk about this, when I talk about the quality of human being that runs companies and should be running companies, she said the first years are already with me that young people are showing up for business school already ready to change the conversation.
1: I'd love to hear that. That means that oh, our future is going to be bright. Abigail yes. Disney, thank you so much um, for this conversation, for making this film. Um, I think it's much needed. The film, The American Dreams and Other Fairy Tales, it's a documentary, and it is film. It is in theaters, excuse me, September 23rd. It's in some cities,
0: but it's also the number one streaming documentary on iTunes right now I didn't know that okay this yes.
1: is a great nugget I did not have that in my notes but that is a very good additional nugget so you can also access this film which I highly highly recommend it has so many good historical nuggets in present day context um, on iTunes thank you Abigail it's been
0: terrific to
1: have you what on a the pleasure show thank
0: you so much Serlina
1: thank you so much please stay safe right. okay you too thank you Thanks for listening to Mornings with Zerlina. We'll be back tomorrow with more news.